Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Though it may not seem so at the moment, we've entered the season of the returning light. So, however you like to celebrate that light in whatever form, happy holidays to you. We wish us all a safe and pleasant holiday time and a very much better new year. In this time of once again spiking COVID infections, many folks are cocooning and will spend a good part of the holidays either in or close to their homes, and will be communicating with friends and families at a distance using Zoom video conferencing. Regular longtime listeners may recall that when COVID first raised its ugly head, almost two years ago now, many people began gravitating to video communication for events and just for visiting. And here at the Electronic Cottage, we noted that while Zoom was generous with its free video conferencing service, there were some problems. For one, Zoom had a bit of a problem doing what it said it was going to do. For example, providing end-to-end encryption for Zoom sessions. And in a time when the former president was growling every other day, and even more often, about how the tech companies were out to get him and how governments should be cracking down on tech companies, it's perhaps understandable that Zoom began to pick and choose what kind of political content it was willing to host. While that probably made the government happy, it did not make a lot of others, including academics, civil rights advocates, and free speech advocates, very happy at all. When Zoom refused to allow a meeting at San Francisco State University to use its network because Zoom was nervous about one of the speaker's ties to the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, Zoom received an angry letter signed by a who's who of civil liberties groups. And then, when New York University organized a symposium about Zoom censorship of the San Francisco State University meeting, Zoom refused to carry that NYU symposium as well, in one of those situations that seem like they must have been made up by Dave Barry, but which really happened. Zoom censored an academic symposium about Zoom's censorship of an academic symposium. But Zoom got more than letters about this behavior. The company also got a bunch of lawsuits, which were consolidated into a single class action lawsuit. Zoom and the plaintiffs in the lawsuit have recently announced that they've reached an agreement in which Zoom, while denying all the allegations of the plaintiffs, will nonetheless pay $85 million to those in the class who were suing, which, by the way, may include you. From the website with details of the proposed settlement, quote, The lawsuit focuses on alleged privacy and security issues with the Zoom meetings application. The lawsuit alleges that Zoom, one, shared certain information with third parties, two, should have done more to prevent unwanted meeting disruptions by third parties, and three, advertised its Zoom meetings apps as being encrypted, quote, end to end, when plaintiffs contend it was not at that time. Zoom denies these allegations, denies any liability whatsoever, and believes that no member of the settlement class, including the plaintiffs, has sustained any damages or injuries due to these allegations. The court has not decided who is right or wrong. Instead, both sides have agreed to a settlement to resolve the dispute without further litigation risk and expense. 
Zoom has agreed to pay $85 million to settle the action. As part of the settlement, Zoom has also agreed to make certain changes to its policies and practices that benefit settlement class members pursuant to Section 3 of the settlement agreement. End quote. You can read the whole thing for yourself at www.zoommeetingsclassaction.com. And if you used Zoom between March 30th, 2016 and July 30th, 2021, you may be a member of the settlement class and entitled to a payment of between $15 and $25. Details are on the site just mentioned, along with instructions about how to apply for inclusion in that settlement if you want to. Note that the judge in the case has not officially approved this settlement yet, so it's possible that the settlement terms could change. Our point here is simply that commercial software is, as its name implies, controlled by commercial companies. However apparently generous and civic-minded those companies may appear in an emergency, and Zoom has certainly been very generous during COVID times, ultimately they exist to make money. To do that, they must, among other things, keep their software proprietary and its code secret. The code often does what the company says it does, but what if it doesn't, as apparently happened in the Zoom case here? And what if it does other things that the company doesn't mention? Google and Facebook come to mind here. What, if any, are our options as users? We can, of course, just not use the software or service, but in COVID times, not having access to video conferencing can really put a crimp in our personal, business, and academic lives. But there is another alternative. It's called open source software. The code is open and accessible for anyone to look at, which makes it a lot more difficult for the developer to say that it's going to do something that it actually doesn't do, because anyone can look at the code and find any aberrations. Anyway, in the wake of the Zoom class action lawsuit and proposed $85 million settlement, it might be worth taking a look at open source video conferencing alternatives. Perhaps the most widely known is a program called Jitsi, J-I-T-S-I. Its features pretty much match the features available on Zoom. It's free, and a lot of people look at its code, so it's pretty likely that it does what it says and nothing more. You can take a look at Jitsi, J-I-T-S-I Jitsi isn't the only open source video conferencing option, however. For a description of several others, take a look at opensource.com. We'll post a link to all of these sites on the page for today's program in the Public Affairs Archive at www.weru.org. Sometimes it takes a court case to find out what software we use, especially apparently free commercial software, really does or does not do. Those of us who aren't programmers just have to hope. But there are other possibilities, and open source software offers a surprisingly wide set of options which are worth a look. And every now and then, we'll take such a look, right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. Music